Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. of the Night Report Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Broadbent. Joining me once again is my co-host, Richie Schneiderite, and Rutgers Beat reporter, Craig Epstein. We got, we're going to cover everything in terms of Rutgers' 35-16 win over Virginia Tech from this past Saturday. I know we, uh, we've had a couple podcasts since the game ended, but this will be the definitive <clears throat> recap of everything that happened. Uh, first off, let's get some high-level thoughts from both of you guys. Craig, you start. What was your thoughts just you know, right off the top of your head, how, how Rutgers performed on Saturday. I thought it was kind of, this game was kind of eerily similar, I think, to the Temple game a bit, where even though there was more points scored in this one, it was kind of weird how Rutgers kind of started off pretty good, then they hit that lull and kind of threw out the game. Uh, Virginia Tech, you know, the third quarter, basically, Virginia Tech started to mount its comeback because Rutgers obviously went into the uh, halftime up 21 to th- 21 to 3. Virginia Tech mounts its comeback, makes it a one-score game, but then just like last week, Rutgers answers that up with a, a huge answer, with a big big run by, you you guessed it, Kyle Manung guy. 55 yeah. yards, a career long, uh, I think uh, the pretty sure that's a career long run for yep. him. And basically from that point up, by that point on, Rutgers, that was Rutgers' game, and it was uh, it was theirs to win. So there you go, it started off 3-0. Uh, I, I think they did it in a little bit more of a impressive fashion than even we thought. So I got to give him credit there. But uh, yeah, it's just now going forward. It's all about just, you know, making sure those lulls in the game don't cost you the game. Because now going forward, other than maybe Wagner, everybody's probably tougher than the three teams they just faced. So that's kind of my opinion on it. Yeah, I mean, Rich- I mean you, you kind of hit the nail on the head there. Um, pass game sucks. Run game. Great. <laughs> Defense. Great. Yeah. Virginia Tech sucks. Um, I it's my I just said it all. Yeah, that's that's the gist of it. But I said it off the pod. I'm gonna say it on here. Uh, Brent Pry, his I shouldn't even blame Brent Pry because he's a defensive guy. I'm blaming Tyler Bowen, their OC. Why the hell is Grant Wells your starter? Because that kid Drones is pretty damn good. Yeah, we were talking about this. If if Kyron, if Kyron Drones doesn't start that game, if they go with Grant Wells, based on how they played the first few games, and just Wells has been a part time starter at least for four years. Uh, we, Rutgers wins that game by 30. The only thing that yeah. kept Virginia Tech in the game as long as they did was Kyron Drones. Not only his rushing ability, he run, ran 22 times for 74 yards, but mm-hmm. he also just kept so many plays alive where it seemed like we had him bottled up and he was able to escape the pocket, or it seemed like you know one guy was going to hit him and he, he had a defender kind of bounce off him. Um, so I, he, I, he really did impress me, but this is a game that if Grant Wells <clears> played <throat> in, I, I think we dominate this team. Yeah. Um, just some high-level numbers uh, to go over then we, before we go into like the actual game itself. So Rutgers was 6 of 13 on third down, which is pretty good. It's almost 50%. Virginia Tech was 5 of 15. Uh, they were 2 of 3 on fourth down. Rutgers didn't attempt anything, didn't attempt a fourth down conversion. Rutgers had 302 total yards. Virginia Tech had 319. Rutgers had 46 passing yards on 7 for 16, uh, so 2.9 yards per pass. Uh, Virginia Tech had 190, uh, 190 passing yards, 19 for 32, uh, one touchdown, one interception. 
Uh, on the ground, Rutgers had 256 rushing yards on 34 attempts, so that's seven and a half yards of carry. Virginia Tech had 129 rushing yards on 3.3 yards per carry. Virginia Tech had more penalties, seven for 75. Rutgers had four for 35. Rutgers once again won the turnover battle, so Rutgers forced two turnovers, didn't have any themselves. The one thing I'm surprised at looking at just the team stats, Rutgers, they were averaging about 38 minutes in time of possession the first two games. They only had 26 minutes of time of possession against Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech held the ball for almost 34 minutes. Um, but that was just kind of the weird nature of the game, I feel, where Rutgers was forcing a lot of turnovers and getting short fields. And Virginia Tech was just kind of like having a lot of really sloppy possessions that they would somehow convert a third down or fourth down when they did have a sustained drive. So I guess, what do you guys want to start with? Do you want to start with Rutgers offense or Rutgers defense? Um, I guess let's start with defense. Switch it up. Okay. So let's start with the defense. So I thought there was a few like really high-level standout performers. There was also a few guys who probably – let up some plays that kept Virginia Tech into this game. So let's just talk. I get, we'll start with the defensive line. Craig, how do you think the defensive line played? I thought the defensive line, it's, it was pretty similar, I think, to the first few weeks where they con- they constantly get – they do get pressure. They get the, the quarterback to you know get off their platform and things like that. But they're not coming away with sacks. And I can kind of understand it in this game because the Jones is more of a mobile quarterback, so he can kind of burn them with his legs a bit. But really, going forward, I would like to see like like Aaron like we always talk about. Aaron Lewis is always always the disruptor, always in the backfield. But like they just, I don't know, they just not they're just not coming away with as much sack numbers as maybe you'd like to see, and that could be the difference between you know going forward winning and losing a game because you know it's good to get QB pressures, but I mean sacks sacks are where you can win or lose the game. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's pretty fair. I think the defensive line as a whole wasn't awful, though. I don't think I don't even think the defense was bad. And then the second half, they were—I shouldn't even say second half, the third quarter. I don't know what the hell happened. <laughs> um, the D line as a whole, though, going back to it, Aaron Lewis had some some good plays. Mayana Hana too, I love in the middle. Um, Isaiah Aiton solid, but I, we said it on our post game pod. And I don't know if you guys saw it, but like, what happened to Keontae Hamilton? He's just like gone. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't know. He he was a guy that I think we all had really high hopes for, given he, the flashes he showed as a freshman. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody loves a wrestler on the defensive line because it shows you have typically elite hand usage. And when he stopped wrestling, I think everyone expected him to take a huge leap last year. That didn't really happen. And now he's kind of been placed into a, a backup role. And a backup role on Rutgers defensive line isn't like a true backup role because they mm-hmm. rotate so many guys in. And that's what you want to do. You want to be able to have guys be able to just line up and throw their fastball every pitch, kind of like how baseball uses relievers now, where they'll just use like six relievers in a game because they could all just come in for nine pitches and throw 101. I think that's the kind of the approach that Rutgers likes to take on the defensive line is they just want guys to come in, give full maximum effort, and then rotate out. And they have the depth to do that now. So Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It stinks that, you know, he can basically never see the field, but it's also kind of a testament to their depth and that if somebody were to go – you know, somebody were to go down that somebody like him has to be ready, has to go in and get the job done. So I, I mean, I would think it's, it's, you know, football is such a long and painful season that at some point you'll think he'll get some kind of chance and he'll have to answer for, he'll have to answer the bell. Yep. Yeah, no, definitely. But the, the D line as a whole, I thought was, was pretty decent. I didn't think they were 
bad or um i know they're not like craig said they're not getting sack numbers which sucks but end of the day i don't think they were awful um i thought renee conga had some good moments i thought isaiah eiton had some good moments um the edge rushers are just always good i don't see any issues with them whatsoever um and then the linebacker play linebacker play has been mm-hmm. phenomenal mm-hmm. like yep. Ty- tyreen powell uh, we keep saying it he might actually be drafted this after this season he <laughs> might just leave like yeah that good yep. Um, tackling machine, great in coverage. He was pass he, rushing. Didn't he have like, a, yeah, didn't he have a pass deflect or <clears throat> pass, knock down a pass on one of the in this game at one point? Um, he actually is one of the only guys that had a sack on the game. But he, <laughs> they had four sacks in this game, guys. Yeah. Okay, between yeah, Tyree yeah, Powell, Aaron Lewis, Robert Longerbeam, and Minahan too. I mean, now they're 16th in the FBS in total team sacks. Uh, so oh, with 10. I, but those mostly just came in two games. They had a mm-hmm. lot against Northwestern, and they had a lot against <clears throat> Virginia Tech. But, I mean, if you look at the quarterbacks, you would expect that because E.J. Warner has – we've said this a lot last week. Uh, he had, like, the it's quickest true. time to throw in the in the NFL – or not the NFL, Jesus, the FBS. So you, you don't <laughs> expect many sacks against him. But with guys like, like drones who do hold onto the ball and scramble around, those are the guys you expect more sacks from because they try and – hold the ball as long as they can to allow plays to, to kind of open up or plays to break down um, coverages to get blown. So you, you want to get a lot of sacks against guys like him. And they, they did that, but it did yeah. feel like for the amount of times we had pressure on him, the amount of times we had like a free rusher, the amount of times mm-hmm. we got the hands on him in the backfield, we didn't get as many sacks as you probably would have hoped. I think that's kind of what you're getting at. Yeah. 16 quarterback hurries. It looks mm-hmm. like three on only three quarterback hits and four sacks. So, yeah, it, it does seem like they should have translated to more sacks. Maybe we are overthinking it a bit. But, um, yeah, going back to the, the linebacker core, I thought they were great. I thought um, Deion Jennings played really well. Um, Muhammad Toure is, is back. Like, there's no question about yeah. it. Um, and then uh, he's not even starting, which doesn't matter, I guess, technically. But he's still out there quite a bit. And I actually thought he'd rotate more as an edge rusher than a linebacker going into the season. And he's he's full-fledged linebacker, and he's he's playing great. And again, um, going back to the depth, I mean, Moses Walker, another guy who doesn't really <laughs> see the field, and we think he's a good player. He's come in as a top recruit, but their their linebacking crew is so right now so like deep, so deep that you basically just see special teams. I find that interesting. That that you, I'm glad you brought that up because it's interesting that they don't play any other linebacker than those three, like for the most part. But mm-hmm. last game, this game specifically, they had they, Moses Walker didn't see the field. No other right. linebacker saw the field. Like no Jameer Wright Collins, no no one. So it was just the three of them, which is awesome, but it goes to show how in shape they are and how healthy they are too, knock on wood. Um, the DBs, though, I, I wanted to talk about there's there's a really high high and a really low low at the DB position. Yep. I think Max Melton has been struggling yep. mightily. There's no question about it. I don't know what's happened to him. Um, he's just a totally different player from – not last year because he struggled last year. He's a totally different player from his sophomore year where he – and I, I think it's – him being cornerback one, I don't know if putting him against the top receiver every game is, is going to work in the future. We'll see because he's been getting torched in the last year. He's cornerback one. He got torched sophomore year. I think it was cornerback two and he played pretty well. So now it's like, what do, what do you do there? Um, and then flip Dixon, flip Dixon stud. Like that just goes yep. to show you the portal does work at times. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's he's one of the highest graded players by PFF on the team. So uh, he's the 25th highest graded safety wow. out of 668 qualifying safeties. 
Um, <laughs> this is by far his highest graded year he's had in his college career so far. He still has another year of eligibility after this too, if he wants to use That's it. Crazy. I think he's probably played himself into the conversation of getting drafted. And mm -hmm. I, I know that when I say get drafted, that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be a first round pick, but he'll be, you know, a day three pick at worst. And especially given the success of Rutgers defensive backs past few, I mean, under Shiano in general, but just the amount of guys who get drafted <clears throat> later, don't get drafted at all that have gone on to make an impact in Shiano's 2.0 reign is pretty impressive. Like you have Iz Izian who just got a second pick of the season already as an undrafted rookie who started day one for the Bucks. That's... The Bucks are two and zero now too. Rookie That's... of the, rookie of the year, rookie of the year. Uh, let's, <laughs> he uh, let's he tweeted that it, not, a little bit. He tweeted it, not me. I okay? would love for that to happen. I just think this it's a long season, and for a defensive back to win that award, you really need to like, you really need to have like nine or ten, eight, eight like seven to ten interceptions, which is tough. Like, do you remember who's the safety for Buffalo like ten years ago? Uh, who had like a crazy amount of interception? He, he played at Oregon. Uh, um, anyway, don't, Buffalo we're not going to harp on yeah, this. Well, I just mean, yeah. It's the same way as like a defensive lineman. Like you could be the most disruptive guy in the world, but if you're not getting sack numbers, you're not going to get votes for that kind of stuff. Where you know, I think Trayvon Diggs had like how many interceptions a couple years ago, and that he was getting like defensive player of the year award nominations because of how many picks he had. Yeah. Well, watching yesterday's game, he ain't winning over Micah Parsons. I can tell you that. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, rookie, <laughs> rookie of the year, rookie of the year. Yeah, rookie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's possible. Yeah. Sauce won it last year, so. True, but Sauce yeah. had fucking insane numbers and still does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like... Um, but I, I think Longer Beam also had a good game. Um, but I agree. I think guys like Desik Benusen <clears throat> had a rough game. He had three or four missed tackles. That was low. Um, Jeez, I didn't even think about that. Yep. Uh, you had. It seems like Max Melton gets burned once or twice a game, late, like deep. I don't really know mm -hmm. if it's because he takes a lot of risks in coverage. I haven't dug into his tape enough to kind of figure it out. If he's taken, I, I don't want to say what it specifically is, but he, I noticed there's a lot of times the guy he's covering ends up getting a long reception uh, this year, at least, and in last year at times. Um, but I do think in general the the front and back seven have played pretty well over the first three games. Um, I think this defense is clearly taking a step forward. It's nice when you can have continuity at the coordinator position, Joe Harris in his second year. Done. Um, I think Wesley Bailey's taken a big step forward this year. Um, just kind of being all over the field, um, both as a pass rusher and he, he was the guy who scooped that fumble up early in the game, which kind mm -hmm. of set the course of this game. Um, because this game never really felt in doubt until that third quarter lull that you guys were talking about. Like the first half, it just seemed like we cruised to a 21-3 lead. But then I, I guess we've kind of talked enough about the defense. The offense, I feel like they didn't really have a whole lot of pressure on them to do anything because we just kept getting gifted great opportunities, whether it be a short field because of the fumble, a short mm -hmm. field because of the interception, a short field because of some bad punting. Like Rutgers just seem to be in like really easy, not easy, but short fields a lot today when they, they they took over, and also Virginia Tech could not handle any outside runs whatsoever when we when we actually implemented them. Like how many big gains did we have on guys just bouncing it off tackle? It was kind of wild. A million? I mean, <laughs> no, there's a ton. Um, I'm trying to think, is there like an exact number out there, like on PFF or something? 
So I don't know. Um, I thought Dave Anderson, David Anderson did a great job of breaking Virginia Tech's run defense down on uh, the Scarlet Spotlight last week. He was saying mm-hmm. that they do a lot of twisting and stunting on the defensive line. And that if you like the way Pat Flaherty teaches offensive line uh, play, he, he like one of the things he preaches is to get your hands on the guy immediately off the snap because that gives you the leverage. It doesn't allow them to do these twists and stunts because in order to do that, you have to basically like free yourself from a defender and go around someone. And if somebody's got their hands on you already, you're more likely to run into somebody. You're more likely to mess up your footwork. And he said if you catch them at the right time during a stunt. You're basically having these wide open lanes on the outside. And he also said that in pursuit, their linebackers and, and DBs oftentimes took a lot of bad angles. And he saw both those things. Like on Kyle Manungai's first <clears throat> touchdown, I mean, Johnny Langan, if you watched that first touchdown, had an awesome block. He took out yeah. two guys, um, two defensive backs, uh, clearing a huge hole. But that 55-yarder, he didn't even have somebody in the screen. Like when you watch the replay, like nobody else was even in terms of Virginia tech pursuing him for the first 20 yards of that run. It was just insane. Um, So I think all day Virginia tech really Mm -hmm. struggled with just their general, like defensive, not philosophy, but you could tell a lot of those guys didn't really understand how to like take proper angles and pursuit and make the tackles. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about. I uh, got to give credit to uh, obviously Kirk Kirk Shiraka because that that first half was oh, just yeah. called beautifully. They loved. Yeah. It seemed like they fell in love with that. What was it like? QB keeper, and then Manongai basically acts as an extra blocker, and that kind of broke off uh, Wimsit for that uh, long touchdown run. I mean, that first half, Kirk Kirk really earned his money in that first half because that was uh, that was a great that was a greatly called half. I feel like we're saying this every every week now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's like Kirk, well, Kirk I mean, does the money. Kirk does money. It's just like such a night and day from Sean Gleason. <laughs> well, Kirk is just there's a lot of coaches in the old school way of looking at how you coach football, where it's like my system works. I'm going to call my system. You have to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Whereas the more the new school way is I'm going to actually develop a relationship with my players, <laughs> understand what they're good at from not only watching but talking to them. Yeah. And then call plays accordingly. And that's clearly what Kirk does because there's so little, uh, it's, it's so few in-breaking routes called for Gavin, at least at the first reads. Everything's outbreaking, Everything's down the field, kind of putting things outside of harm's way for Gavin. Um, and he's just he just knows which plays. He just has a good sense for it. I don't know if you ever played poker. You know, like when you're really feeling it when you're playing poker, you know, like, Okay, I have the big stack. I could just like bluff here. I'm just going to keep winning pots because like I have the momentum at the table. And it feels like he knows how to establish momentum at the table pretty quickly and just Mm -hmm. roll with that and know when the right time. to. It's just like an innate sense, I guess. You you only get that from experience. You only get that from being an innovative mind. And he clearly has both. So, yeah. No, there's not really much else to say with Kirk. He's he's a genius. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So obviously... Menungai has been the team MVP this year. He had another huge rushing game, 143 mm-hmm. yards on 16 carries. He almost averaged 10 yards a carry, three touchdowns. The last two weeks, he has over 300 yards rushing and four touchdowns. I think he's leading the Big Ten in rushing. He's 65 yards off from leading the entire FBS in rushing. You can't say enough about this guy. We talked about it last week. We talked about it, I think, a couple pods ago. Like, people inside and around the program are like, 
I don't know what happened to him this offseason, but he has just like changed, not changed it like he didn't have it, but he's just decided I'm going to be angry at the ground on every run, sort of how Isaiah Pacheco was. Mm-hmm. And he has been the team MVP by far, in my opinion. Yeah, he didn't look like this training camp. I'll, I'll just put it there. Like it, <laughs> it, it was like a complete eye opener when I saw him like game one, and I'm like, holy shit, the hell's this guy? Because yeah, I was gonna say, Richie, because you know, we, I feel like we got a couple of questions throughout the offseason, like who's gonna be, you know, that breakout, it's, you know, Rick's play was like the most, and we always said like, you know, like oh, strong. Sam Brown when he gets healthy, you know, if, if Wimsett can take the next step, but. Nobody, I feel like nobody was talking, nobody's talked about Kyle Manungai and through the first three weeks. I mean, he basically lit the spark that won them back-to-back games. He's not, 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 uh, not enough you can say about this guy. He's been awesome. Yeah, I think I said it on our on the quarterback commitment pod, but I talked to a couple of offensive linemen, former offensive linemen who watch practice, go to practice, go to everything. And they're like, dude, this kid's nuts. Like, I've never seen, like, I've, this is basically pop 2.0. And I'm like, yeah, no, I don't, I don't know what happened, but this man is like a bowling ball legitimately, like just bouncing off of people. Like, I, I he just runs pissed off. And it's, it's not unorthodox, but it's, it's kind of unorthodox the way he runs. It's just weird. It looks, and he's, he's like got that Ray Rice type build where he's just small and stocky and, Yep. It's he's just he's making it work. Like I know I was getting a little nervous because he, he wasn't putting up great numbers, but he wasn't putting up bad numbers until that fifty five yard carry, and then all of a sudden it's like boom, fifty five yard carry. Then there's like one of the drives that was just chunk play after chunk play. It was like three, twelve, yep. three, ten, three, nineteen, and I'm like, Jesus, like man's going insane right now. Like, yeah. But um, and they said it on the broadcast that he's he seems like he's the type of guy where as the game goes on, <laughs> he seems to get stronger, kind of like you know a oh, yeah. pitcher when they get to that, you know, seventh, eighth inning where they're still, you know, throwing their mm-hmm. 99 fastball. But on guy just wears you down and you saw it, you saw it in the, the just without the games. He just, he's just so, he's so, he's hard to tackle in the first quarter. You get to the fourth quarter. It's just like, man, it's just crazy. You got to give Jay Butler some credit there. Cause that man has oh, yeah. this team in <clears throat> better shape than the majority of college football teams. And I, I've said it before. I think I've said, I'll say it again, but he is one of, if not the best strength and conditioning coach in the country. There's a reason Shiano said, like, I'm not coming back unless he's on the staff. And <laughs> yep. lo and behold, he's on the staff, and he's he's making a nice payday, too. Yeah, he's not hurting, uh, but we're more than happy to have him. Yeah, uh, Gavin also had a standout day on the ground, 11 rushes for 87 yards and a touchdown. I thought he had – it was a bit of a bipolar game because I thought he had his best all-around rushing game as a Scarlet Knight on Saturday, but he had his – his worst passing day by far this season. One of his worst passing days as a Scarlet Knight as well. I guess we'll t- transition to the pass game now. So how okay. many times did Virginia Tech just line up their entire defense within 15 yards of the line of scrimmage and basically dare Rutgers to throw the ball, and they didn't or they couldn't? Uh, it's kind of shocking with the way that they played defense, how many big runs we were, were able to have. I think that's a testament to kind of how bad Virginia Tech was and also how you know well executed we were running or how well executed our run plays were and you know our, our offensive line had a pretty good game overall too i thought you know when we lost needham I, we were a little bit worried as a group because it was already seen as like a thin unit to begin with um and kamal missouri struggled but you had a guy in taj white step in and i thought he had a pretty good game at right tackle I and mean, he's probably going to stick there at least until needham comes back but um I, so Gavin went seven for sixteen. Sorry. No, no, you're good. You're good. 
Kevin going was seven for sixteen for forty-three yards and a touchdown. Um, let's start with some positives before we get into some negatives. Uh, okay. Seven for sixteen, ugly <laughs> stat line to begin with. I was have like th- I'm just joking. Yeah, but he did have three <laughs> drops. So if you yeah. take those into account, it's more like ten for sixteen. Ten for sixteen is what sixty-three percent passing. But you're gonna have drops every game, so you can't really rely on that. Um, I thought he had two really good passes. I thought the touch pass to Christian Dremel, where he rolled out to his left and he just lofted it over the defense, dropped it right in the bucket to Christian Dremel. I thought that was a really good pass, not only because it, you know, it was a very athletic throw, but also because he hasn't really demonstrated touch on most of his passes. And that was one where you had to throw it in there with some touch. You had to throw it with some loft too. And that's kind of going back to what Mike McMahon said to us this offseason. It's kind of like when you're a quarterback, you need to know which club you need to use in your golf bag on each shot. Like sometimes you're in a bunker and you need to loft it. Sometimes you just need to, you know, drive it with your driver. And he knew which club he needed to use on that pass to get the completion. Um, and that that pass at the, at the, the on like the four-yard line to Christian Dremel for the touchdown, I thought that was – you couldn't have thrown it better than you did there either which set up a crucial touchdown right before the halftime. It really just kind of like buried Virginia Tech. It, it felt like pretty insurmountable at that time. Obviously, it didn't end up being because they made a, a bit of a comeback. But what were some other standout or some other moments in the past game that stood out for you guys that were positives? Because there's a few things we could talk about in terms of negatives. Yeah. Touchdown, not touchdown for Christian Dremel. That was <laughs> – I, I, how does that ref not see that? It's like you're looking know. down and it's like, no, he's out. I'm like, what? Like <laughs> – well, just call. I was like, just call it a touchdown. Then you can just you can just look Review at it. Review it. Yeah, it a, yeah, exactly. Like it, bizarre, extremely bizarre. There, I don't, I don't know what happened, but this again, these officiating crews have been dog shit, and there's no yeah. way around it. Like, um, but yeah, no, I, I, I thought Gavin had some nice passes. In, in particular, like you said, the Dremel one, that was a perfect one. Um, there's not really many others, to be honest with you. <laughs> Yeah, I kind of stole the two standout ones. Um, it was I want to make sure that it got brought up. Dremel, 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 and this is going back to my training camp talk. It's it was Dremel, Dremel, Dremel all training camp. Like that's why I said on the board, he's going to lead the team in um, uh, receptions this year. Your man had the most targets this week. I think he was second most the week before. I think he was second most the week before that. Uh, so it's going to continue to be the Christian Dremel show because not only is he going to be the dump off guy for Gavin, but he's also proving he can do a little bit more than that. So. Other than that, though, receiving, there really wasn't much because everything else was like the one five-yard dump pass to Washington. Um, Manungai had a couple t- – oh, yeah, five targets. Oh, no, yeah, no one else really got targeted. I guess Manungai out of the backfield, but that's that's really it. They they knew that they couldn't pass, so they said, screw it, just run. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I think – I mean, yeah, this was, like you said, Wims' worst game by far. I think they, there's, they can – I think there's tweaks in his game that they can fix a little bit, like – I think Jaquega Jackson, how many targets did he have? Zero? Zero. I mean, you can try and get well, we him had, the ball more. He had, more. One. He had, he had one. a deep pass. A deep pass that fell incomplete. Uh, yeah. right. It looked like he got tied like, up. Yeah. It's not listed I think you can, for some reason. You know, I think you got you to gotta utilize him in the game plan more. When you <laughs> see him kind of one-on-one on the outside, like he's got the speed just basically like last week. Just just throw it up there. And at, at best, you're going to get a, an explosive play. And at worst, you're at least going to keep, you know, Try and keep the defense honest, and then maybe that'll open stuff up, you know, on, on the more the shorter, shorter mid-range kind of game. So they can make a little tweaks here and there. 
to try and help Gavin a bit more. But I think right now, just Gavin's problem. I don't think he's bad per se. I think he's just more inconsistent right now. And I mm-hmm. think that's something that like, like I don't go into, like you can see like you can tell last game, like he was like, you look at the game, you're like, this isn't Gavin's day. So you're just going to have to run the ball and you look at their numbers and you can understand why they fall in love with the run game so much. But uh, I don't go into games. Re- I don't. So right now I don't really go into games nervous that Gavin's going to cost you the game, which I know that's such a, such like a low bar to try and clear, but it is kind of like different from last year where he was just, it was just brutal last year. But this year he can, like we, like we've talked about, he's seems to be smarter with his decision-making let's plays dies. So as like, it's, it's like so boring to say, but it's Shiano Bowl where he does not, he does not want the quarterback costing you the game. And so far through these, first three games i don't feel like he's costing the game but uh like i talked about in my article there's not many games where your quarterback is going to complete seven passes and you're going to come away with the win so at some point you know going forward they're going to have to open up the game plan a little bit more and let gavin try and do a little bit more through the air because teams are just going to teams are just going to stack the box like we saw virginia tech start doing it uh, in this game and like we like i said before these teams are going to get better so they're going their defenses are going to be better so that's I think that's just kind of the, they, they're going to have to open up the game plan a little bit more going forward. Jaquay got targeted three times, by the way. Oh, three times. Okay. okay. Yeah, I'm looking at it now, and they actually gave him a really good pass grade on that on that long pass. Um, just, I guess he 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 did beat the coverage. It's just he couldn't get yeah. the ball to him. I mean, yeah, uh, like I said, at, at best you get an explosive play. At worst, you keep the defense honest. And you know, as when I see him one on one, I I have faith that he's gonna he's probably gonna beat the the corner. Because he's so yeah. fat. It's just they don't take deep shots at all. Like yeah, that's what, yeah. One, that one, and we'll take, like, all right, put it away. <laughs> yeah, they'll take they'll take one or two a game. Almost like it's kind of like taking your medicine rather than like this is mm-hmm. how you create you know the highest uh, expected value plays in in football is these these deep plays. Um, so they they did two against Temple. They completed one. They did one against uh, against Virginia Tech. It fell incomplete. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even close, honestly. And uh, I don't know if it was a a play they could have called DPI on, but they did. There was clearly contact, and both guys ended up on the ground. So I don't know. There is that the what was the one in the corner of the end zone? Um, the Ian Strong one that was pass interference, wasn't it? Um, I think there was. A, I think I know what you're talking about. It was a deep one to Jaquay Jackson, and I thought was it was Jaquay? pass interference. I, I thought probably, it was Ian Strong because I'm pretty sure Ian Strong shared it on Instagram. But that's another guy where, you know, I don't know how many targets he had, but it's just like, got, like even through the, he hasn't had many targets, I feel like through the first three weeks. So that's just a guy I'd like to see them get involved more. Even if you're just getting the, getting in the ball in open space, let's just try and, you know, open up the, the, the passing attack a little bit more. Because if a team just knows, like, you're not, you're not going to throw downfield there, it's going to be put on tape and teams are going to figure it out. So it's just going to, you're just going to make things harder for yourself. You guys got your phones on you? Yeah. I just sent it to you. I'm pretty sure that was pass interference. Yeah, I oh, they did call it. That. They did call it for pass interference, didn't they? I don't think they. No, I don't think they did. So there was a flag thrown once they picked it up. Then maybe I'm thinking of a different play because I I remember there was a deep they shot. I don't know. Yeah, but, <laughs> I mean, I, I just, it's been a couple of days now. I don't even remember. <laughs> Craig, I agree that this kind of felt eerily similar to, to Temple, and even if you look back at some of the stats, like Gavin threw 12 pass attempts in the first half. He had four attempts in the second half. They clearly decided we have the lead. We're going to try and bleed this clock out, and they didn't really, they didn't really do much in the second half until late in the in, until late in the game. Like if you look at 
the start of the half. We get the ball, four plays, punt. They get the ball, punt. Next drive for Rutgers, five plays, punt. Then Virginia Tech scores a touchdown, and we go three and out. Virginia Tech scores another touchdown, and then Rutgers seems to kind of turn it back on, but it's mainly through the through the on the ground. Like, you know, Manungai on the third drive of the of the second half for Rutgers has that fifty five yard rushing touchdown on third and one, and that that kind of like sealed the game off. But these these third quarter lulls we're seeing, that's not going to fly against you. You know, we play Michigan, the second best team in the country this upcoming week. If we have a third quarter lull against them, it, there's no chance we're going to win. We have to keep the foot on the, the gas, even when we have leads, because the teams that you know get back into games, like in the second half of the schedule, if we allow teams to score two touchdowns in a row and you know cut the lead to one score, we're probably not hanging on. We've played three not good teams to start the season. I won't say they're bad. Mm-hmm. I won't say they're terrible, but they're on this. They're on the back half of the rankings in terms of FBS schools. Yeah. So we're going to play a lot of teams that are on the front half coming up on our schedule. We're going to play a lot of teams on the road too. We've started the season three straight home games. We have to find a way not to hit these lulls on offense because the defense is only going to be able to hold together for so long. We got lucky the first two games that we were so dominant and we were able to keep the defense off the field largely. But as we talked about, this is a game that Virginia Tech controlled the time of possession. It just they kept turning the ball over, so Rutgers was scoring pretty quickly. Um, but they cannot keep these lulls up. Yeah, and I was going to mention that was the coming out of half. That was the thing that just ag- kind of aggravated me a bit. Is that I know it's I know it's Shiano ball, but like you go into the half up twenty one to three. You obviously yep. you deferred like we see it all the time. It's the Patriots' specialty. They can they can win. They can put games away by scoring before the half, a touchdown before the half, and scoring a touchdown coming out of the half. If Rutgers yep. scores a touchdown coming out of the half, there goes up twenty to three. Like the game's probably over. It's probably going to be it a laugh. Over. You're going to win. You're going to win big. But instead of doing that, the Rutgers decided to try and basically bleed out the next, the second half, and that just doesn't like. You're not just going to run out thirty minutes. That's like how like the Falcons lost the Super Bowl. Like it's just not going to happen. So it's um they, like you said, they came out. I think they ran like what was it like nine consecutive runs. It's just run, yeah. and run, and they didn't really amount to much. And that's what led to the third quarter lull. And that's what allowed Virginia Tech to get back into it. So, and again, if, if you're not going to let Gavin Williams at throw when you're up 21 to three, then they know you're not going to let him throw when you're up 21 to 16. So it's just like, mm-hmm. you know, just in a situation like that, just, just open up the game plan a little bit more because, because see what happens. I mean, at worst it's 21 to 10 and then, well, it ended up being 21 to 10 anyway. So. Can't, can't reveal anything. Rutgers came out of the second half. They get the ball because obviously Virginia Tech turned the ball over on that first play on offense. Mm-hmm. So they get the ball at halftime. Touchback. First and 10. Common on guy, 10-yard run. Awesome. Love picking up first downs. <laughs> Third and 10 from the 35. Common on guy, two-yard gain. Second and eight from the 37. Common on guy, one-yard loss. Third and nine from the 36. Deshaun Benjamin, eight-yard run. So we're at the 44 now. Rutgers takes a delay game, and they punt. Virginia Tech thankfully punts the next next drive, but Rutgers gets the ball at the Rutgers 16. Gavin, five-yard run to the 21. Deshaun Benjamin, seven-yard run to the 28. Awesome first down, love it. First and 10, Deshaun Benjamin, two yards. Third, second and eight, Deshaun Benjamin, three yards. Third and five, common on guy run, three yards. So we're at the 36 now. We punt the ball on fourth and two. Those are not, like, you have to mix it up more than that. Like, I don't care that you're up by 18 points. Like, 
this is how teams get momentum back. And we've allowed teams to swing momentum in the second half, especially in the third quarter, multiple times uh, the last couple games. And that, I mean, at least just first Temple and versus Virginia Tech. Like, those are things that have to get cleaned up. And that's that's partially given a lot of flowers to Kirk. Those are the kind of drives that you got to mix it up more. You can't just run it up the middle and expect to keep picking up first downs against teams that are stacking the box against you. You got you to gotta do better than that. Talk about boring football, too. Jeez, it's just like we're. I wonder what kids leave. uh, That's leave. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. That's why (laughs) you're up twenty-one or what was it? Twenty-one three. Yeah, twenty-one three. Twenty. They're up twenty-one three, and then it's just like run for four, run for three, run for two, punt, run, 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 punt, and it's like, oh my god, like I, I'm going home. I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) Rutgers did not complete a pass in the second half until thirteen minutes left in the fourth quarter. That. Yikes. And they had three possessions before that. I don't know why he does it, but he said it. I think he said he mentioned part of it in the postgame presser. He said something about like we had the lead, we were just playing smart, and I'm like, I get it, play smart, but you there's a play smart and then still keep your foot on the gas. Like you gotta score some points here. Like you let him right back in. And luckily you had Manangai who broke open a fifty five yard touchdown because if it wasn't for that, I was getting kind of nervous because it was a thirteen point swing and it would have been maybe more if you didn't have that momentum shift. Yeah. So. There's a, yeah, there's a, uh, there's just a difference between, <clears throat> I understand they want to basically wear, he, they basically just want, I think he just wanted to wear, like you see it all the time, he wanted to wear Virginia Tech down. So when he got to that fourth quarter, they're just done, which I guess he kind of did. But there's a, there's a line between wearing a team down and just putting your foot on the neck. And I felt like coming out of the half, that was a chance to put your foot on the neck, take the game by hold, and just really, if they, like I said, if they score a touchdown, game's over. Yeah. Then, then you can run out probably the next, what, however many minutes. Yeah, and Rutgers has been very successful on the ground this year. But Michigan's ranked 17th in the FBS in, in rushing yards allowed <clears throat> per game. They're only allowing 81 yards on the ground, uh, 2.6 yards per carry. This is going to be a team that you can't just, you know, sit on an early lead. You're going to need to really open up the playbook against Michigan. And I know Michigan struggled this past week. You know, you had. Uh, J.J. McCarthy got banged up. He was limping Lincoln, late in the game. Yeah. He threw three picks. This is a game that, you know, Michigan hasn't looked incredible to start the season. They haven't, you know, they haven't really played anybody either. So I think this will be the first test for them. This will be, honestly, the first true test for us because I don't think any of the first three teams we've played this year are going to be bowl teams. Maybe maybe if drones, you know, really develops over the next few games and Virginia Tech can do a patchwork job of getting to six and six in a down ACC. Maybe, maybe you see them make the bowl, but I don't see Northwestern or Temple even come close to making a bowl game this year. No faith so. in the Owls. <laughs> I don't. No, I don't. Um, they do play UTSA, Tulsa, North Texas, Navy, South Florida. Like, but South Florida looks good, so I don't even know. Um, <clears throat> you are right. It's I might give Temple a better shot than Virginia Tech for a bowl, but that's that's just me. Um, but yeah, Michigan's going to be tough. They're going to be extremely tough. They have arguably the best running back duo in the country in um, Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards. Um, mm-hmm. And they don't even use Donovan Edwards really so far. They haven't had to. They won 33, 35-7, 31-6. <laughs> like they yeah. just had comfortable leads. Like the Bowling Green game is closer than the final score would indicate. We talked about this a little mm-hmm. bit, but you know that was a seven to six game for a while. At <laughs> halftime, it was fourteen to six. Like that wasn't a game until similar to like Temple for us. So until late in the game, it really blew it up, blew it open. Sorry, but 
Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I was going to say for Michigan, I think we all kind of know the deal. Like we don't expect Rutgers to go in there and beat them. But as we talked about going into the season, you know, as much as it's about winning the games you're supposed to win, it's also about, uh, you know, stopping these blowouts that we've seen the last couple of years. Like, you know, you want to see Rutgers go in there and make it, make it even a one or two position game going into the fourth quarter. Just, just give something, you know, make it a, make it a game worth watching because mm-hmm. like I said, we, we don't expect the Rutgers to beat the Michigans, the probably not the, Oh, Mike, you're talking about Ohio state. That was a wonderful <laughs> game. <laughs> but like, yeah, like I don't expect Rutgers to go into Michigan and beat the number two team in the country, but just, just put together a good game and make it. And then, cause then, because then if you can put together a good game against Michigan, then it makes me think, oh, maybe you, then Michigan State, the games Michigan State, Indiana, those are games where you can still say those are winnable, winnable games. For Mike's sake, you know, make, make sure you cover the 31 and a half. <laughs> yeah. Uh, an unbelievable, unconscionable line came out on Sunday. Uh, Rutgers opened as a 31 and a half point underdog to Michigan on FanDuel. I immediately just hammered it. Um, if you want to know why the line dropped so much so fast, you're looking at him right there. Well, (laughs) you know, I put it out everywhere. I was tweeting about it. Like every time it dropped a point, I put another tweet out. Um, you know, the line probably got released at around 11 on FanDuel by Mm -hmm. three o'clock and it already gone down to 24 and a half. And then when Circa came out with their line for the week, they put it at <clears> 23. So FanDuel just really shit the bed on that line. Oh, um, and I, I hope, might be I hope a lot of you guys yeah. out there were able to, so. to hop on it. <laughs> well, it's here's the thing. It's like if a line moves that much, it means that it was just a bad line. That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to hit. It just means that you have a favorable line. And if you were able to get it at like 31, you now can you know try for the middle. I'm probably not going to do that because I – if it drops to like 20, I'll middle it. But I do think that this line's still over. It's still too high, in my opinion. The Rutgers is not 24 and a half points worse than Michigan. So, well, I don't know. It, you should tease it, Mike. Give it a little tease. That's the crazy no. thing is I'm looking at last year's <laughs> spread. Last year's spread, mind you, I, I think this was the worst Rutgers team, right? Am I wrong? Mm-hmm. 26 and a half. Yep. And it's like I get it; they were home, but like, to be honest, like, was it really that big of a difference whether it's home or at Michigan? Maybe, but no. a five-point swing, like I don't know. Very yeah, weird. No. Very, very odd. We'll have a whole lot on the Michigan game later this week. We're gonna have uh, a guest on who covers Michigan full time <clears throat> to kind of talk about their team. You know, what he's seen over the first three games. Just you know, what he thinks of this Michigan team in general. Um, Jim Harbaugh is coming off his suspension. So That's he'll be in his first game me. as the head coach. That doesn't really scare me, though. I don't think, you know, he's, no, he's a, pissed off. Because, honestly, no, head coaches. He's refreshed from a nice uh, couple game vacation. True. Head coaches are just kind of like overseeing the operation. It's not like they have any, like, there are certain head coaches that call plays, either on offense or defense. Jim Harbaugh mm-hmm. doesn't do that. He, like, mm-hmm. they'll make adjustments, say, like, hey, I noticed that, like, these plays are working. Let's run more of that. Or, like, why are we keeping like why are we doing like they're basically just like a ceo on the sideline they have to handle timeouts mm-hmm. they have to handle you know making sure you know making the final call on whether guys can go back in or not that kind of stuff um so i don't know i don't think that that's a 10 point edge for for michigan by any means um but it's not a negative either like getting their head coach who's had a lot of success back on the sidelines it's a positive but i don't think it's like a you know they, they're a much better team with harbaugh on the sidelines versus 
you know, sitting at home watching eating whatever snacks he's into. Like, <laughs> you think he watches you know. the games in his khakis? I think he like wears the wears the whole outfit while he's watching the games. Probably. <laughs> he's, he shirtless just seems on like his that recliner. Yeah, shirtless and khakis. On his recliner, just sitting there, <laughs> drink drinking something weird too. What's like? Yeah, what's the yeah. weirdest? Like, like, a, like, like a, a like a t- like a Doctor Pib or something? No, no, no. I'm thinking Mr. alcohol. Mister Pib. <laughs> this might be the only guy that drinks some mint julep. Not during. I, uh, that's so weird. I was during... going to say mint julep. That's really weird. <clears throat> not during uh, the horse races. He's the only one that would actually go make one at his house. Mm-hmm. It's like this guy's weird. Yeah, he's a strange character. But yeah, I, I do think him coming back might play a factor a little bit i think he's gonna be pissed he might be pissed but whatever i just don't see it as a uh that much of an edge to get him back um yeah it's true so is there anything that we didn't talk about from the game that you guys wanted to to you know soapbox over or discuss further i think we covered a lot i was gonna say i kind of thought one of the one of more under the radar key plays was um I think it was like kind of middle in the fourth. What? what? <laughs> I saw that. Mike. This water bottle's got like a leak in it or something. Uh, <laughs> I just saw it dripping the shirt. <laughs> That's oh, I did, sorry. sorry. But it was like midway through the fourth. I think it was third and nine. And Rutgers, there was that free play where, and there was that, I think Teray jumped offside. And they had a free play that he kind of threw up. And the Rutgers, I think the DB kind of knocked it away. So they would have had the first down. They got the free play, so it ended up being third and four. But then the next play, I think uh, Virginia Tech got called with a false start, so that backed it up to third and nine again, and Rutgers ended up getting the sack, and it went for fourth down. Didn't get. It. I thought that was kind of an under-the-radar key play, because if they get that first – because if they get the – if he catches that, they're declining the penalty, first down, and the drive continues. I'm pretty sure it was a one-score game at the t- – I think it was a one-score game at the time. So, you know, it's just a momentum type of thing, but I, th- I thought that was kind of a key play. Now, I, I have a – comment about it but it's not really about the game per se mm-hmm. it's more about uh btn being absolutely awful at their own job uh, <laughs> apparently in the middle of the game they not not only did they not have ruckers on the correct channel to start they had uh, ruckers yeah. on the secondary channel in the new jersey new york area network oh, but then they also switched halfway through the game and they were going to just be like oh oh no we messed up let's, let's just switch the channels and give ruckers the primary big 10 and switch iowa to the secondary big 10 channel and they had Iowa on both for a solid chunk of the game. I think it was actually, oh my gosh. especially, uh, I think it was seven seconds left in, in the half. And I think that's mm-hmm. when they switched. Everyone was pissed off on social media. Everyone was pissed off on our boards. And it, like, come on, you got this big billion dollars, the multi-billion dollar TV deal. Get it together. How do you yeah. fuck up like that? You're owned by Fox. Fox doesn't ever fuck up from what I can tell on NFL Sunday, but Rutgers football's on, and all of a sudden it's like, hey, let's, let's pull the wire, pull the cord real quick. That was on Spectrum or Optimum, right? Because the BTA, oh, because I have Xfinity. I was good. Like, I was good. I didn't <laughs> watch the game, but yeah, I heard about yeah. the uh, problems there. And yeah, it's just like, you know, if you're in the New York, New Jersey market, I, I think people, I think most people would rather watch the Rutgers game than Iowa versus Iowa, what was it, Iowa State? Western Michigan, I think. Western Michigan, yeah. 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 Which, hey, it wasn't actually that bad of a game to begin, but. Still, it's not the point. Like, come on, get it together, BTN. What what are you doing? So, yeah. Um, one other thing that I took away: uh, Virginia Tech traveled pretty well overall. I was a little surprised at how many Hokies were in the stand stands. Well. Um, most of them were 
pretty nice that I talked to. There was one guy in 115, anybody who was near the uh, <laughs> the uh, the end zone there. He just like every single play, it, it was literally like, you know, they had that Boy Scout parade before the game mm-hmm. um, in the on the boardwalk. There was a group, there was literally like three rows in 115 that were just all Boy Scouts. And there was a guy at, from Virginia Tech in the second row. Every single play, he would just scream and then turn around and flip off people. F this, F bomb this, you guys suck, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so he, outside of him, the Virginia Tech fans I met were really nice overall and uh, you know pretty cordial. But just the one guy, you know, he could ruin it for the whole – if that was the only fan you met from Virginia Tech, you'd think they're all like that. But. <laughs> um, we have our videographer slash camera guy. He hmm. sent me a uh, picture. And I was like, what is this? And he goes, this girl, I have a video of her. She's a Virginia Tech fan, just would not stop twerking in the stands with two tall boys in each, one in each hand. Oh and just God. was, Virginia Tech made a first down, starts, stands up on the, on the bench and just starts twerking. And I'm just oh like, God. well, you would think if that was the only Virginia Tech fan, you would think they're all like that. <laughs> Richie, was she hot? No. Oh. Oh, okay. oh, I'm going to be nice. <laughs> Oh boy! That's why I'm not I'm not sending posting a picture on here. We're going to be very nice. Let's just say um, Virginia Tech women, not my cup of tea. Well, with that, um, my, oh, I shouldn't say kettle. Never mind. Yeah. I'm, done. I'm done. I'm done. Sorry. Uh, before Richie gets himself in trouble, we'll, we'll cut this one off. Um, a couple of things we already mentioned that we're going to have an interview this week with a Michigan beat writer to go over mm-hmm. everything for the Michigan game. Uh, the Rutgers men's basketball schedule drops tomorrow at noon. Uh, we'll have something out to kind of break down the schedule. Um, but, you know, we've been asking for that for a while, or I know a lot of people have been asking that for a while. This is right around the same time last year that I got released, right in the middle of September. So there hasn't been anything that's changed. It's just, this is when it's it just released. Official, yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that- um, we'll have more recruit reactions from uh, this past weekend because we had quite a few visitors, both in the basketball front and basketball in the football yes. front. Richie, Surpri- you look surprise, like you have surprise visitor. Talk about uh, yeah, Kamar Archie showed up on on uh, unannounced oh. previously, and that's that's a four star kid. That's a pretty big name linebacker over at Hunt School. So came out of nowhere and showed up. So just saying, keep an eye out. I mean, if you guys have not seen what Kamar Archie looks like, he is a high school junior, I believe, right? You thought He's a yeah, 2025 you, kid. So you thought Moses Walker was built like a tank when he came in? That kid is freaky. This guy looks like an action figure as a 15 <laughs> or 16 year old. He is one of the most, you know, cut 16 year old kid football players I've ever seen. He plays for the Hunt School. Mm-hmm. He's been one of those kids that everybody's known about since he's been in like eighth grade. He is one of the top players in the state. He is a he, he looks like you know like a transformer. He's huge. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely freaky looking kid. Like he's gonna be so, and he's good. He's really good. I don't know if he'll stay yep. at linebacker because he's getting to the point where he's like Muhammad Toure size. So he's like he could play edge, yep. he could play linebacker, but we'll see. But either way, the man's fucking dominant. And to get him on campus for uh, looking at his profile now, it's kind of insane when you look at Rutgers because there's like 20 visits. Um, he's he's also hearing from Iowa a lot, but he hasn't really went out there yet. Uh, but one, two, three, three visits this year alone. One, two, three, three visits last year. One, two. Oh, look at that. Three is three visits the year before that too. The kid's been on campus a million times. <laughs> yep. So if you if you can't land him, like I shouldn't be a recruiter. Yep. Um, a couple other things to my own horn. Two of the three picks I had from the gambling part of the last week's show hit. 
course, the Chargers had to charge her and ruin it. The three picks I had were Dallas minus nine and a half. Sorry. Yeah, Craig. thank you, Mike. Um, I, really, I really appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> uh, Rutgers minus six and a half or seven. I forget what it was at this point. And mm. then freaking the Chargers minus two and a half. If you watched that game, uh, it was frustrating because <laughs> they had every opportunity to win it. They started the game up 11 nothing. Mm-hmm. They uh, had the ball driving with less than two minutes left. It looked like they had all the momentum in the world and they sputtered out. They had to kick a field goal force overtime. And then they, uh, it seems like they're the only team who can allow Ryan uh, Tannehill to actually throw a deep ball. They had multiple huge shot plays in that game. So Did you see Staley freak out bummer. like when he was asked about the the playoff loss, like that, come on, like he's, you know, he's on, he's on borrowed time, honestly, I think. Yeah. Well, can't yeah, win with Justin Herbert. Like, come on. It's the beat reporters, man. Not great. No. But the Giants won. Giants did win. Uh, <laughs> I was I was talking a little bit of shit about it. Uh, you know, the Giants had statistically the worst start to an NFL season ever in terms of point differential. They were they literally started the season sixty points to zero, and then they made a hell of a comeback. You got to give them all the credit in the world. They didn't give up. Arizona sucks, but it doesn't matter who so you're bad. playing in the NFL. <laughs> if you're down 20 to nothing in the second half, you you got the deck stacked against you. You could be playing a bunch of fucking peewee kids, and it's, it's I mean, no, not literally, but it's it's not easy to make that comeback. So credit to credit to the Giants. Um, but you gotta you gotta be worried at home if you're a Giants fan because yeah, the next fine. four games are tough. <laughs> like, you got Andrew Thomas back. We'll be good. It's a brutal schedule. But you saw how the big—that's the biggest comeback since you know, you see since when, Richie? Uh, I didn't see since when, but I saw it. I was a little out there at that end of the game. <laughs> yeah, well, ninety-nine right. years against who? I forget. Oh, I forget, I forget the, half, the team that's not around anymore. But I can't remember. Name. was probably the O-line coach back then too, right? <laughs> <laughs> probably. Um. Yeah, no. Um, so you can just take over Lucky's locks, uh, Mike. It's it's yours now at this point. Like I'm done. I Mike, I quit. Mike, if I call him I Mike. Just, well, yeah, well, uh, um, Mike's locks of the week. No, nah, we got to think of well, something. They, see, as soon as I start putting them on, you know, putting them to the print, they're going to start losing. So I don't yeah, know if I should. I'm, I'm done. I picked Minnesota. I had a Minnesota as my lock this weekend, plus seven and a half. That was god awful. Oh, I got a name. I got a name for it. Get bent. <laughs> Um, well, we're going to get That's off it. now. We're getting <laughs> off the rails. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you haven't already, uh, like us, subscribe to us on YouTube, Ooh. rate us, yes. review us on uh, your favorite podcasting app. It really helps people find the show. We really appreciate those who have already. If you haven't, I mean, we're going to shame you again here. I don't know what you're waiting for. Loser. You know, we're over 200 episodes in now, which was kind of anticlimactic Ooh. because it was our live show. We'll do some kind of celebration for getting over 200 podcasts. And this week we have our two year anniversary for the pod too. So Ooh, maybe we do. Maybe we'll have to do something uh, special this week. Uh, not really in our regular content schedule. Richie, we really do food. appreciate you guys listening. Right, we'll, we'll, do, uh, we'll, we'll start drinking on one finally. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so maybe we'll do like a like a, a blowout mailbag episode because you know we have the <clears throat> we have the voicemail line, but we haven't uh, we haven't oh, had any, any calls recently. I don't know what you guys if you guys forgot about it if it wasn't something you're interested in, but. There's no busy signal. line is still out there. What's that? There's no busy signal. There's not like it's not like a landline. No busy like, signal. You know, it goes right to voicemail. <laughs> we'll put the link in the pod again. We'll put the link back on the board. Uh, but yeah, drop uh, some uh, voicemails. We'd love to hear from you guys. 
Yeah, and real quick before we sign off, I, I said this last pod, and it ended up working out really well because I didn't know we were live, but we were live. Um, <laughs> but uh, Rutgers students, if uh, if you're interested in joining the night report, I got a deal for you, man. I'm going to save you some beer money here. It's only $15 now to for a student to get the entire year of the night report. You can join the board before it gets nuts this weekend against Michigan. You can join it before basketball season. and get You get it for both seasons then. For $15, I'm saving you so much money. You can go spend it on beer. You can go spend it on weed because it's legal now. I can say that. Um, you, can go, <laughs> you can go spend it on whatever you want. Save your money. Just spend the $15. All you have to do is email me at ruritchie at gmail, R-U-R-I-C-H-I-E at gmail. I said that pretty clean. Um, and I'll send you back a promo code. Don't share it with like non-students. I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. I don't really care. You can do whatever you want. But when, when I'm talking to you, don't. <laughs> Don't share it with other stu- non-students because they're just going to use it and abuse it. And everyone's just going to be like, oh, $15. Like, oh, yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, if you just email me via your .edu email and I'll send you a promo code back. And uh, yeah, we'll go from there. All right, guys. Well, thanks once again for listening. This has been another edition of the Nerd Podcast. Signing off. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.